Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of the e-commerce evolution podcast. I am your host, Brett Curry, CEO of OMG Commerce. And today we're diving into one of my favorite topics to discuss on the show. We're talking CRO or conversion rate optimization. If you're not sure what that is, we're going to explain all of that here momentarily. This episode of the e-commerce evolution podcast is brought to you by OMG Commerce. Hey, that's my company. Uh, OMG Commerce is the primary underwriter of the e-commerce evolution podcast, and we're excited to do that, excited to bring this content to you. A quick offer from OMG Commerce. We are a Google Premier Partner. So we're in the top 3% of all Google partners, one of the fastest growing in the world last year. Uh, if you would like a second set of eyes on your Google campaigns, whether that's Google Shopping, Search, YouTube, Remarketing, or the like, we would love to talk to you. Love to schedule a strategy session. Love to look at your campaigns and provide ideas for improvement. Also, Amazon. We would love to talk to you about your Amazon ad strategy and have an Amazon audit for you, uh, complimentary for listeners of the e-commerce evolution podcast. Our Amazon department is led by Mr. Chris Tyler to find out more about the way we approach Amazon campaigns. Go back and check out episode 39 as we do a deep dive and look at Amazon advertising. But we would love to help you with either of those traffic sources. And so if you're interested, go to omgcommerce.com, click on any of the services, and there's a quick form to fill out right there. And now, back to the show. My guest is someone who really knows his stuff when it comes to CRO. Uh, today, I have with me Mr. John McDonald. He's the CEO and founder of The Good, based in Portland, Oregon. And John has worked for some pretty impressive companies like Nike and Xerox and Adobe and The Economist, helping them with their conversion rate optimization. And uh, John also spoke recently at Google to e-commerce brands spending over 100000 a month on Google Ads, helping them with their conversion rate optimization. Spoke at a, a Clavio event recently as well. And so uh, most of you know, you know that the OMG Commerce, we work on the traffic side. So we're a Google agency and we run Google Ads and YouTube. And so we know how to get people to visit a site. But one of the things we run into a lot is you know, sometimes the answer is not just getting more or better traffic. A lot of times the answer is also converting them better and, and creating a better experience when someone is on the site. And so can't wait to talk CRO with Mr. John McDonald. John, welcome to the show and thanks so much for coming on. Hey, Brad. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. It was it was awesome. We connected, I guess, about a week ago and we're talking shop and diving into CRO and thought, man, Got to get John on the podcast. This is really good stuff. So <laughs> excited to, to geek out a bit. So excited to uh, be here. Uh, I think it'd be kind of fun. Just quickly give your background, right? Because we, I, I joke with a lot of people that are in the industry, myself included, you know, we, we didn't pretend as young children, as young boys running around saying, you know what, mom, I think one day I want to be an online marketer. You know, I was, I was throwing baseballs at hay bales and wanted to be a pitcher and stuff like that. So, so, but how did you, how did you get into, online marketing and specifically CRO, what was your, your quick mm -hmm. uh, journey into this space? Yeah, so um, I have a computer science and visual arts degree uh, that I got in college that is uh, the combination of two departments that had never really spoken before, left and right brain, if right, you will. Right, yeah. And so it was natural at the time. Uh, this was 
2003 or so that I graduated. Uh, Dot-com boom had just really taken off. Um, natural for me to combine those two skill sets into digital and digital advertising, digital media. At the time, marketing teams were the only ones really building websites for brands. So that's uh, what, what the world I jumped into. Um, and used the computer science and visuals to start building out e-commerce. Uh, learned a lot about just the technical side of e-commerce. And that turned into uh, almost 10 years ago, starting the good. We started out as a e-commerce uh, development shop. And uh, what we found pretty quickly was that brands weren't hiring us because we could build them a functional e-com site. That was almost the baseline. It was a commodity to get an e-com site built. Really what they were excited about was that we had built into all of our contracts that we had to optimize for three months after we launched the site. The idea behind that was we, you know, everybody else that we were competing against was doing a launch and leave philosophy. Right. We really wanted to make sure the clients were set up for success. Little did we know that was truly the precursor to doing optimization and conversion optimization. Uh, we were deploying a lot of the tactics that we have um, really kind of iterated to today. Um, A-B testing wasn't as big back then 10 years ago. Obviously, um, Obama's uh, campaign here in, in the States uh, really made his first campaign really made A-B testing take off. Of course, that was the genesis of Optimizely. And there was a, right, right. That's what I just thinking. I read the book by the, the guy that started Optimizely. And he talks about that campaign, some fascinating stuff. Isn't it? The, they uh, built the technology for that campaign. And then um, after Obama took office, they turned that into a startup that's uh, been extremely well-funded since. Um, and was kind of the genesis of that whole A-B testing for e-com uh, and bringing that as a SaaS tool to the masses. And I think that's the name of the book too, right? A-B testing, is that, is that is. right? Yeah. yeah. And it's one of those things where, and, and whether you get into politics or not, I, I typically don't. Uh, the book is fascinating and it gives lots of screenshots of, hey, this, this email had these results, this landing page had these results, this picture change had you know, different results. So fascinating read. Yeah. And so what we found was that the data-driven approach is really what works best. And so we dived in to help brands to track every click and movement <laughs> that consumers take on their site. And, and in fact, uh, John, you know, the CRO is so powerful. It gets me choked up sometimes. Sometimes I get a little, <laughs> a little choked up, a little emotional, uh, just thinking about the impact. Of, <laughs> so excuse me, I'm going to grab a drink, but keep, keep going. No problem. Yeah. So uh, we, uh, you know, more than a handful of years ago now had really started focusing on the conversion optimization aspect because that's what our clients were really excited about and where we were providing the most value. So today, that's all we focus on where uh, brands like OMG really focus on driving qualified traffic to a site. We focus on making sure once that traffic is there, it converts from a visitor into a buyer. That's awesome. So, so I think a lot of people that listen know what CRO means, but, mm -hmm. but even for those that do, what, what is your take on CRO? And, and so for, for the good, what does CRO mean? Yeah. Well, I actually have some um, slides I can share if... Uh... Yeah, let's do that. So for those that, that listen to audio only, uh, keep doing that. You know, we'll make sure this content totally applies to audio only. But for those that are wanting to watch this on YouTube or, or turn it on at work or whatever... Uh, we we do have slides now. 
Okay. Video insights. Yeah, yeah. Take take it away, John. You're right. Yeah. Well, I think that how we define conversion optimization is probably a little different than and, and nuanced than what most digital marketers might. Uh, we really look at it overall as uh, a data-backed system for increasing the percentage of website visitors that convert into customers or more generally take any desired action on a web page. So that's a mouthful, right? So I, I really liked part of the reason I wanted to put slides together for this was so that we could break it down together a little bit. Um, one thing to be thinking about here is the data-backed system, right? So conversion optimization is really not about trying a bunch of random tactics until one works. Uh, you know, there's so many blog posts out there that are doing a disservice where they say, oh, we changed one button color or one headline and our conversion rate doubled. That, that's not how it works. Uh, but I could share one message today that people take it away. It, this is an iterative process and we'll, we'll dive into that. But I was hoping you were just going to say that if I changed all my buttons to blue on my site, <laughs> that instantly conversion would take off. I wish it was that easy. Wait a minute, my buttons um, already are blue. Okay, I wouldn't want another. I, I would, <laughs> I'd be Amazon if that was the case and not not <laughs> optimizing sites. But um, really the idea here is, is that you want to collect data, right? And use that. Use the clicks and movements of your site's visitors to decide where to optimize on your site. And if we talk a little bit about a system as a process, uh, you know, really easy, any seasoned conversion strategist is, is going to know that Again, it's not just in that one tactic, but the compounded effect of optimization applied in really a strategic and structured manner. What I mean by that is think of it like a savings in a retirement account, right? It's interest that compounds year over year and you continue to see that growth. And by just putting a small amount of, of improvement in each time, the interest continues to compound. So it's very similar with conversion optimization. What we're trying to do is show small improvements over time. And that's really where we're going to start showing the uh, massive gains, if you will. Yeah. And one thing I'll just comment on that, the, the, the compounding effect. And this, I see this all the time, you know, on, on our side, we found, you know, hey, if we get a better ad, and we increase our, our click-through rate and can kind of get, you know, lower cost traffic that allows us to spend more, right? Same is true in your case as you're increasing mm -hmm. conversion rates or increasing average order values, then that just means you can spend more, right? So now I know that, hey, if I'm trying to, to get this particular return on ad spend or I'm trying to reach this particular cost per conversion, you're making it more efficient. So now we can spend more on the front end and drive more customers. And it does have a, a compounding effect. Uh, which really well, that, that's a great lead into the next part here, which is that it's all about increasing the percentage of website visitors that convert into customers, right? So um, it's, you know, conversion optimization is technically about improving conversion rates, but um, you know, we also look at a lot of other metrics. And I heard a definition the other day of CRO that I thought was brilliant. Um, continual revenue optimization. Nice. Right? And I, like I think it. that's great because that's really the way to be looking at it is not just on one metric. We mm -hmm. track customer lifetime value, as you mentioned. We track ROAS or return on ad spend. Uh, we want to look at um, margins on products. You know, Everybody listening to this can increase their conversion rate right now by discounting their products heavily, but that's 
it's not the way to go, right? Discounting is not conversion optimization. It's margin drain. You're going to kill all those other metrics. So if you only focus on conversion rate, then you, you end up neglecting a lot of the positive metrics that you need to be paying attention to as well. Totally makes sense. Yeah, that, that's a, a short-term mentality. And, and for some industries, and then sometimes the year, you know, as holiday approaches, doing some discounts and some incentives makes sense. But if, that, if that's your CRO strategy, I think you're in trouble, uh, uh, to your point. You, you've got to do more than that uh, to increase conversions for sure. Yeah. And, and the last part of this definition is really just take any desired action on a web page. And what I mean by that is that a purchase is not the only conversion that you should really be paying attention to. Yes, it's the ultimate one. You know, e-com brands are in this to sell products online. But you know, thinking about helping your visitor go further down the purchase funnel at every step is just as valuable. So be thinking a little bit about email signups, of course, uh, you know, what's happening along your path to purchase that, you know, if you start really tracking every click and movement that people are taking, again, you can really help drive yourself to find out what metric precedes a purchase and then influence that metric. And you just keep working your way down the funnel. Um, and you'll see some pretty massive gains from that. So just focusing on the on the purchase is is a little too narrow as well. You really want to go more broad. Make sure they're taking any desired action. Uh, can you, you, can you give an example of of some of those, John? So if the ultimate goal is to increase conversions, but you're saying also you know key in on some of the things that lead to a conversion and improve that, what would be some examples of that? Yeah. So um, you know. We often, because we do heat maps, scroll maps, click maps, of course, deep dive into analytics data. We'll talk about some of the data points hopefully in a few minutes. But really, one of the things we usually find is that if people take a, a certain path through a site, they're more likely to convert. Um, and so we want to understand what those key paths are through the site. And then we want to change up the navigation to influence people taking those paths. So it's all about understanding what people are doing and almost getting out of their way, helping them to do those things, really. Uh, and I think that's key is that people are only at an e-com website for two reasons. The first is to research and understand if your product is a good fit for them. And if it is, they want to convert as quickly and easily as possible. They want to get the task done and leave, right? They're not there to hang out. Um, I once had a client who said, hey, I want to put a, uh, a music player on my website. And I said, well, why? okay, what do you want to... I won't give away too much, but why do you want to do that? And they said, um, because we want people to hang out. And I said, well, <laughs> <laughs> they don't want to hang I, out. I don't know about you, but I want them to buy something and leave. Um, you know, that's really the idea here is to help yes. them get get that task done in a way that is uh, unobtrusive to them and, and helpful, right? And if you're being helpful, they don't, they're not going to stick around on your site because you help them complete the task that they're to do. And I think that's really the way to think about it. Yep. Help them get in and out quickly or, or solve their, their task or their goal quickly, and they will love you for it. And, and maybe they will spend more time in terms of shopping other products or, or mm -hmm. clicking around. If everything is easy, like if, hey, you got me the information I needed on this product. Well, what else do you have? I'm going to check that out. That kind of thing works. Not, let me play some music for you. <laughs> that's, that's phenomenal. <laughs> it's um, an extreme example, but yes. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah, I'm glad you brought it up though. It's great. Um, so, so I love that definition. And I love kind of breaking it down like that. And I love thinking about a system, you know, for, for CRO, because I think you can run the risk of, you know, as I talk to people that are 
you know, testing landing pages as an example. I'm going to test this landing page versus that landing page. And, oh, well, hey, landing page B beat landing page A. But because it didn't really have a system, we're like, well, but we have no idea why. Um, we just worked better. And so now what do we do? I don't know. We'll send traffic mm-hmm. to landing page B, but, but you know, what, where, where do we go from here? So, well, one of the things we think about with the system is that we always want to be looking at testing at least six months out. So have a full plan of, you know, what we're going to test next, but also where are we headed, mm-hmm. right? And if you think a little bit longer term about this and you go six months out uh, with your testing at all times, you really have some longer term goals in play. And that keeps you away from focusing on things that uh, might be detrimental, right? They might get that short term win, but in the end, they're not going to show sustained growth and they may actually cause uh, more pain in the long term. So um, having that that system in place is really important. Love it, love it. So I believe, and then you, you talked about this, so we're totally in alignment here, that, that this goes back to data, right? You can't improve conversions without good data. And I believe that, that all of marketing now is data-driven and it's only going to continue to... to lean on it more so. And, and so if you would, can I talk about what, what are the, the key data types to pay attention to? Because there's probably a lot of hype. There, there's, you know, we, we can be overwhelmed by data. Mm-hmm. We can dive into data that really isn't going to help us so much. What are four key data types that you guys use for CRO? I, I agree with you. I think in, in the world we live in right now, there's almost an overabundance of data. And it's easy to be sold on just tracking everything And we want to know about the clicks and movements that consumers are taking on your site. But we've really boiled it down to four things you need to pay attention to. And and this is baseline. Every e-com shop should be looking at these four items. Uh, The first, of course, is analytics, right? Uh, This is an easy one to think about Google Analytics solving for. But really, we're looking a little deeper than that, right? Out of the box, Google Analytics is great for marketing. Tells you page views, where people are coming from, what they're looking at traffic levels, but those don't really help you to optimize your site moving forward. Uh, We want to be tracking uh, a few things like top sellers, uh, revenue numbers, uh, help you understand seasonality, right? When are your... What products sell better when? You can start optimizing around those. Um, And there's a lot of other e-commerce focused uh, data. You'd be surprised about the number of brands we start working with that don't have e-commerce tracking turned on in Google Analytics. It's a quick toggle button to turn on and do a little bit of effort and you can get a lot of payoff there. So um, most people have Google Analytics installed, but they leave the default setup. They're not really investing any time in customizing that at all. Um, You can track key events like button clicks and navigation usage, things of that sort. Um, There's some great views of how consumers are getting through your site and what paths they're taking. So... Paying attention to that is going to be key. Awesome. Do you, do you have any kind of top top views or or, or top mm. customizations for analytics? I know that may get a little too technical for what we can describe on a podcast, but yeah, I was trying to think of how I might describe some of that. I, I think that the setting up some custom events for um, you know on your key landing pages is going to be is going to be important. Um, and you're tracking button clicks, you're tracking video views on a key. Right. Like just tracking how many people click add to cart. Right. And you'd be surprised how many, you know, what a e-com platform may tell you your, what your cart abandonment rate is. It may be very different if you start tracking it in, in something like analytics. Um, and so, you know, really it's all about having that single source of truth. 
right? So what data platform do you want to start using uh, that you can set up some good baselines and move forward from there? That's what's really going to be important. Not, not all about what you track. Yeah. The second one I think would be heat maps. Um, so most people think a heat map is just based around movement of where a cursor goes on, on a screen. But there's also scroll maps. How far down are people scrolling on every page? Uh, that's always an eye-opener for our clients. Uh, they think people view the entire page. Uh, you know, Most view maybe a quarter of it if you're lucky. Um, so prioritization of content out of that is going to be huge. Uh, click maps, where people are clicking. Uh, not just buttons, but what are they clicking on that's not clickable that they think is, right? It gives us a lot of hints about what people want to be doing that they can't do currently. And then looking at other movement maps, really, it's just the, the goal here is to understand how people are engaging with your site's content, uh, not just what pages they're landing on, but also how they're engaging with that content. One other type of heat map we really like to look at is eye tracking. Uh, you know, most uh, mouse movement heat maps will help you to, to understand a little bit about what people are looking at because whether you realize it or not, typically your eyes follow your mouse cursor around a web page. Um, but we also see, uh, you know, what people are reading a lot more and how much of that content they're reading with uh, eye tracking. Um, so we like to help and avoid. How does that? How does that work? How does eye tracking work? Yeah. So there are a couple different methods for that. Uh, one, you can do webcam eye tracking has gotten really, really good. Uh, the second is uh, you can get a headset and do it that way. Uh, and the third is uh, which so we, these are people then that have agreed to participate in, in some kind of a test. Exactly. Right? Yes. Um, and the third is uh, which we find is is become really efficient and works really well is artificial intelligence eye tracking. So taking thousands and thousands of eye tracking studies from different pages and using that big data to help understand uh, if we put a web page in front of it what is going to be looked at and what's not. Nice. Uh, it's very quick, it's efficient, and we found that the difference between live eye tracking and doing uh, AI tracking is is minimal. Um, and it works really, really well. What, what are some of the changes that, that you implement after studying heat map data? So mm -hmm. I, know, I know this could be all over the board, but what are some of the common changes you're, you're reordering content maybe or you're moving button placements or what, what are you doing after looking at heat map data? Well, I think both of those are, are great examples. Uh, I mentioned earlier about scroll maps and how far down people are scrolling. It may be that your key content is too far down on a page or um, you know, it's really common on home pages to have a focus area, a feature focus area at the top right under the navigation. Usually it's a rotating banner, which is a bad idea. And you just for a number of reasons to have something auto-rotate. Uh, we do know that that statistically kills conversions. Um, should always start paused and let the consumer click through those. But I think that was just one of those things, like so many trends in, in business and other areas of life where some big website did it. People saw it and thought, oh, that's cool. I'm going to do that too. And then everybody was doing it and nobody knew why. And it wasn't useful. That, that's and, not it. I mean, we see the spin to win right now all over the place. It's this little widget that pops up and it looks like... Uh, yeah, yeah, I've seen it. Like the exit pop. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, it doesn't work. Um, I, I apologize to the maker of it, but it's an easy <laughs> plugin on Shopify, the app that you can put in. But the problem is, is it really hurts conversions. Interesting. Okay. But everyone started doing it. And uh, nobody knows why. Every time I asked them, I said, well, why are you doing this? Well, our top competitors started doing it. And we thought it must work for them. 
Well, you don't have access to their data. Right. You don't know exactly what's working for them. You could be tested, opted into an A-B test and you don't even know if you're part of a small percentage variant. Right. So we really suggest that uh, you focus just on your consumer's data. Yeah, love it. Okay, great. So we got, we got analytics, we got heat map data. What do we got next? User testing. So uh, if you're not familiar with user testing, what, all you really need to know is that it is um, recording people uh, utilizing your site. So what happens is uh, we bring people who are trained test subjects. What I mean by that is they're trained to talk out loud about the experience they're having as they complete tasks on the site. So what I mean by that is that we'll put people, uh, we do it remotely. So we have access to several hundred thousand trained testers that have all been pre-segmented. So we find those who match an ideal customer profile and we ask them to complete tasks uh, while we're recording their screen and their audio. And as I mentioned, they're trained to talk out loud about the experience they're having while they're going through. Interesting. Now, what this allows us to do is get not only the quantitative, but also the qualitative. So not only the numeric data from analytics and heat maps, but also understanding the why. We know what actions people take based on analytics, but we want to know why they're taking those actions or what they're thinking as they're making these decisions. That's really where user testing comes in. The tool sets to do this have become um, much more um, readily available. And the the cost is lower now. Um, Most small brands, what we recommend doing is just starting uh, by uh, inviting people over social or emailing your current client list or segment of best customers and asking them. Uh, There are ways to recruit these test subjects. Uh, We have, as I mentioned, access to a very large pool of them uh, because we've been working on that for a number of years. But it's really not hard to start building up and doing some testing over time. Um, but again, it's all about understanding why people are taking these actions on your site, not just what they're doing. Interesting. And, and are there uh, tools or software that you recommend to facilitate that or or is that just going to vary? Well, there it does vary. Uh, we uh, really like usertesting.com. However, it's more enterprise level. Um, so the cost is, is a little more. It's a nice tool set. Um, but uh, for, for SMB brands, if you will, I would highly recommend... Uh, there's a couple out there called like What Users Do. That's probably the one I would recommend to start with. Um, but there's a couple like that where you bring your own test subjects and uh, you can start with just five tests and, and move forward and it's very cost effective. That's awesome. Oh, and I forgot uh, heat map tools and any recommendations. Yeah, I know there's Great. a lot of them and I know that's changing kind of a moving target and everything, but... Yeah, it always is. Um, We have found the best results with a company called Hotjar, H-O-T-J-A-R. Now, Crazy Egg has, uh, most people probably know of, um, they do a great job marketing their products. Um, We've just found Hotjar um, has a lot of the functionality that Crazy Egg is, is starting to add in now. Um, They're both pretty good platforms um, and uh, very reasonable in cost. Great. Right. Okay, good. So user testing, what's next? Uh, A-B testing is the, is the fourth one and final one. Um, A-B or multivariate testing, which really the goal here is to statistically test uh, which changes to the site are going to produce better results. So now that we have all that qualitative and quantitative data, right, what people are doing and why they're doing it, 
We want to put all that together into a testing plan that will uh, allow us to try out different changes with segments of the audience. So for those not familiar with A-B testing, what it allows you to do is say you have 100 visitors to your site. You could take 50 of those visitors and show them uh, your current site and 50 and show them a different variation of... It could be everything down to a headline or a picture change to a whole complete change in that, that one page you're looking at, depending on how big or small you want to run as, for a test. Um, but uh, really, the idea here is, is to help us look for patterns on uh, insights on, on that visitor's behavior, right? What people are doing and how we can influence those key metrics uh, that, that we talked about earlier. Awesome, um, and so uh, often, what are what are some of the things you're you're testing specifically? Where, where do you when you start with A/B testing? What are some of the elements that you're testing right off the bat? That's going to vary greatly based on on the client's uh, needs and what we find from the data. Uh, but you know, we're we always find ourselves testing out things like navigation and wayfinding through a site, right? Product filtering is a big one. Um, it could be content on a product detail page, for instance. Um, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of challenges around um, categorization of products. I'm with you. Yep, yep. Um, and things of that sort that really just are helping people, again, uh, complete those tasks as quickly and easily as possible. Uh, but again, it's all informed. Our, we form our testing plans based on the issues we find in testing. So for instance, we may see through analytics that people drop off at a certain page. We'll try to influence our user testers to go to that page. And then they're providing feedback on maybe it's missing some type of content. Maybe they can't figure out what step to take next. Maybe there's a technical error there. Uh, it could be a numerous amount of challenges. If we figure out we're able to pinpoint what that challenge is, we'll form an A-B test around potential solutions for that. Uh, and we may try out several variations. It could be A, a through D, right? It doesn't just need to be an A and a B variant. Um, and then uh, we'll see, we'll let data tell us which one is working best. And then we continue to iterate and refine on that testing plan. Again, we always want to be looking about six months out with our testing and have a longer-term goal here. Um, but we're looking to influence those those micrometrics along the way. That's awesome, uh, fantastic. So four key data types: analytics, data, heat maps, user testing, A/B testing, or multivariate testing. Um, let's transition and let's start talking about some musts, right, for mm -hmm. for user experience and and specifically. With product detail pages, because you know, when it when it comes to the world of e-commerce, we live and die by our product detail pages. And so, I know you've got a ton of these, a ton of musts, a ton of tips for product detail pages. But let, let's start going through some of your your top sure. musts, and uh, we'll just see how far we get here. Yeah, I've got nine of them here, and uh, for those who go to the show notes, you can download the PDF of all of them. Um, and take a look, but uh, we'll get through as many as we can here. Uh, the first thing to really and be thinking about here is making sure that your product detail page content, your product content, your descriptions are unique to each product and are jargon-free. I sum this up by saying plain language, um, but the reality here is uh, for those that can see, uh, we have a negative on the left, positive on the right. Um, but I'll, I'll describe this a little bit in the sense that, um, you know, there's a, um, 
a product that talks all about organic ingredients and then breaks down the ingredient list, but really just talks in again in using jargon. So they say things like it has sunflower seed oil, which is high in antioxidants and vitamin E. It's like, well, why do I, you know, really care about that? And it goes into a large paragraph about each of these. Um, the reality is, is that I bet if we did a heat map on that and eye tracking, nobody's really reading all of that, right? But on the right, we can see they're breaking down. It's kind of written like a term paper. I think I think sometimes like pe- people are not skilled that and understanding what makes people buy, what makes people convert is that they just default back to English class or something. And so it's like, Hey, I'm yeah. putting together a term paper on organic ingredients. You know? Right. Yeah. That's a great way to think about it. It's really taking that um, graduate level writing and breaking it down to a middle school level. This is the best way to think about it. Right. Yeah. So for instance, um, on the positive example, we have uh, something that says, what is 30% pure vinegar? And that's the header. And then it says that it's a non-toxic environmentally friendly cleaner. And they talk, it goes into bullet points from there. Really simple, non toxic, biodegradable, safe for pets, um, dyeing chemical free, right? So, those really, if I'm just glancing at this site, I'm skimming through the details to look for what's important to me. I'm going to look at the bullet points and that's going to stick out where if I'm looking at a term paper and large paragraphs of the text, that's not going to happen. And this is something, uh, sorry to interrupt John, but I know it's something you know way better than me, but, but very few people just start at the top and read everything, right? They don't just read line one and then line two. We're, we're kind of just, we're bouncing around and looking for something that's going to catch our eye, right? Something that, that speaks to us and then we'll maybe consume a little more if something mm-hmm. does pique our interest. That's exactly right. So the idea here is to use the tools that are available to you, bold, italics, bullet points, break the text out. So you know we call it a wall of text. So many brands have a wall of text. And it really is a wall because consumers hit that wall of text and they just feel overwhelmed. They stop reading and they move on. So we want to break it down and make it digestible, put it into headers, uh, and use the, the tools that are given to you. It takes a little more effort, especially when you have a lot of products but it really pays off. Um, I highly recommend uh, understanding what your top sellers are, maybe taking your top 20 sellers if you have a lot of products, adjusting all of the um, content for those top 20, and then work your way down the list from there. You'll see a big improvement right away. Awesome. Plain language. Love it. What you got next? Um, high resolution images. Now, this you know really goes into... Um, a little more detail around helping people understand and gather information from your images, right? So it's not just about the resolution. It's also about high resolution of information that you're giving them, right? So uh, we have an example here of, of a chocolate company that's doing it bad where they have a picture of their chocolate bar, but you have no idea how big that chocolate bar is. In the picture, it looks like it's as big as I am. <laughs> but the reality is, uh, it says six ounces, but I have no idea what six ounces of chocolate is. Nobody I mean, can translate that. Yeah, is it like an right. Andy's mint that goes on your pillow at a hotel room? Or yeah. is it all those giant chocolate bars? Hard to tell. Yeah, and so the idea here is that um, uh, on the right, the good example is that we're showing the product on people or using the product or giving it something to show the size relation to. Now, the other thing with products, uh, a lot of clothing, I'm sure e-commerce, there's a lot of clothing brands who probably listen to this. Really showing your product in a laydown shot is, is become a nice trend from a design styling where you just lay the product down and take a photo of it on a clean background. 
it's really not helpful for the consumer. Not even, not even a little bit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And but that's the design trend that people have been moving to, but they don't realize that they're actually doing themselves a disservice because they're communicating less information with a valuable photo. Yeah, everyone wants to know how it fits, right? I, I was looking at a swimwear site the other day um, that wanted some traffic help, and, and and they just had pictures of the the swimsuits. And and I mean, the first question, especially for swimwear, is how does this fit? Has it fit a normal person? I don't know. You can't tell by the, the picture. Yeah, and so you know, we always recommend having your products on models and showing them moving. If you can't have a video of somebody moving in the product, that's even better. Uh, a good example is even like a uh, a beanie hat, right? If you put like a, a kind of that type of hat down on a on a laydown, you have no idea how it sits on the head and, and whether it's slouchy or or what the how it's made. Um, so I think that it's something to really be thinking about. There is what information do you want to communicate, and taking photos and showing that information uh, through your photos that that are are going to be helpful. Awesome. The next one is sizing. Since we're talking about that, we'll get into the, into the sizing a little bit. Uh, a lot of brands, again, do lay down for sizing. What I mean by that is they'll show the product and then they'll show the measurements on the product uh, while it's just laid down. The challenge with that is that you have to refer to a huge table and you have to understand, um, you know, really you're not putting it in context of the user. So you have to understand, I have this pair of pants and the top opening, the waist is is thirty. Um, but instead of being able to measure my waist and understand what size I should wear, I now have to have that pair of pants to understand what size it is. The challenge is I'm trying to buy that pair of pants, right. um, so I don't have it. Um, so really, be thinking with sizing. Uh, what can the consumer do from home to help determine what size is best for them? Uh, I have a really good example here from Columbia Sportswear. Uh, they do a great job of saying, if you uh, have these measurements, these are the sizes you should get. And then they give you a really detailed guide of how to measure. Um, and it's pretty quick and dirty and easy to understand. But it also contains a lot of information where if you just have the lay down diagram of the same pair of pants, you have no idea what size you should be getting. Um, you're you're purely just guessing at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. And then this example you're giving, it's easy to scan. You can quickly look at that pan size and it's got the, you know, I mean, the chart, the chart's great. And so, yeah, totally makes sense. Um, the last thing I think we should probably touch on it here is pricing. Um, and, you know, really a lot of brands do pricing uh, as a disservice for themselves. And, and I'll explain this a little deeper. A lot of brands, um, list things that say like uh, the we have a beauty brand on the bad example here where they say regular price is $65. Members pay $10.93. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to know how I can save, you know, uh, $55 here. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, but I, there's no explanation of how to become a member or, or what that is. And then you you scroll down a little bit and it says members save it up to 85% off of regular price. Learn more. Well, you're making it very complicated for somebody to buy the product and understand how much they're going to pay. Mm -hmm. um, and then on the right, we have an example that did pricing really, really well. What I mean by that is that they show the list price or the MSRP, Manufactured Suggested Retail Price, um, and then uh, they cross it out. We find that the strike-through effect for discounts 
um, over what your online price is over MSRP uh, has an amazing psychological effect and works really, really well. So showing the price, then showing the strike through original price can, and then even do it going further and doing that math for them to say that in this case, it's 47% off. That makes a big difference, right? Um, so all of a sudden I've gone from, man, $1,899 for a sofa is expensive, but now it's only $900 and it's 47% off. In my head, that's a completely different message um, where I'm anchoring high, right? So we're using price anchoring here and saying, okay, so it used to be $1,900. Now it's a thousand. It's a big difference. So do the math for the users. Don't expect them to be able to quickly understand that because you want to do the anchoring effect for them. Yeah, this is so powerful. And you and I were talking about this a little bit uh, earlier where you know, pricing is kind of an emotional thing and, and it's... it's interesting uh to test but you know a lot a lot of people and i've, I've always heard you know people buy for emotional reasons mm -hmm. but they back that up with logic and so a lot of what you're doing i believe with your pricing strategy and the way you the way you show pricing on your product detail page is you're helping someone justify saying yes right hopefully the the product imagery and the sales copy and everything you've done the videos all that is making someone say, yes, I want this. This is an awesome beanie or this is an amazing whatever. And then your pricing, the way you discuss that is helping them feel like they're getting a deal, right? Um, mm -hmm. And then so they not to be discounting necessarily, but, but I, I love it how... And I think some people want to be like, I want to do something new and I don't want to do what everybody else is doing with, with pricing. So the, the strike through is tired and it's played and I don't want to do that. Right. But it works. It likes, it's so satisfying. And, and I love how you pointed out anchoring. If it says eighteen ninety nine, but that strike, you know, there's a, the the strike through and it goes to nine ninety nine. Now, someone who wants the sofa, who wants to justify it, is saying, "I got a nineteen hundred dollars sofa for a thousand bucks." Right now, I feel like I'm now I feel like I'm an efficient shopper. And you're right, um, nobody does their math on their own, right? So don't don't say, "Well, someone could do the math easy. Anybody can look at that and see it's forty seven percent off." No, nobody does that. Right, but listing that percentage off is is great as well. I know we're, we're running out of time here. If people download the PDF of this, uh, we also talk a little bit about stock availability, user reviews, comparable tech specs, shipping and delivery times. Um, so there's, there's a few more in here that people should be thinking about. Happy to tackle any of those if you think there's time or uh, people can grab the PDF and look at this after too. Yeah, let's, uh, and then I appreciate you making the PDF available and that'll be on the, on the show notes. If you go to ecommerceevolution.com and and look at this show. Let, let's do talk about just briefly, and we'll make make this mm -hmm. quick. Um, but but the the shipping you talked about um, shipping time frame. Mm -hmm. uh, so so uh, talk about why that's important and how. I know Amazon is a master at that. I know right. it's harder <laughs> for some other people to do that. But but so why well, is that so important, and why and and how do you do it? Yeah. So Amazon is a master of fulfillment for sure, right? And. But just because we know that they own fulfillment and they do really well at it doesn't mean we can't learn some lessons from them that you can take away and apply on your own site. Um, you know, in the negative example here, um, there's really no details to be had. I'll read it for those listening, but it says shipping cost is based on weight. Just add products to your cart and use the shipping calculator to see the shipping price. 
Wow. I'm already <laughs> thinking just, just tell me what the price is. Like the product is $64. It's a small piece of artwork. It's not this huge thing, right? So the shipping cost should be pretty well defined. Um, now uh, you're asking me to take three steps to see how much it is price-wise, right? You're asking a lot of the consumer who just wants to get onto your site, buy that piece of artwork and leave. Well, now you've given them a whole nother task while their two-year-old is pulling at their arm sleeve as they're trying to order your product, right? Yeah. So be thinking a little bit here uh, about what that experience is for the consumer around shipping. You know What Amazon does really well and every brand can implement outside of just getting it to a consumer in two days. Regardless, most, most people don't expect that. They prefer it, but they don't expect if they order from a brand, they're going to get their product in two days. They know that's an Amazon thing. It's okay. But what Amazon does really, really well is they tell you upfront the shipping costs, right? So they say free shipping in this example here. They say if you want it by a specific date, when you have to order it by. So they say if you want it on, in this case, September 11th, order within the next one hour and 20 minutes and choose one day shipping. That's pretty clear, right? Like I know I'm going to have to pay a little more probably if I want it tomorrow. Okay. They also tell you very quickly it's in stock. And uh, what I can expect in terms of shipping, right? So they offer here a checkbox that says, I want a uh, free two-day shipping. So they're giving you some options there without having to go into the checkout box. And they're doing a great job of setting expectations. And that's all that a consumer is looking for. So if you offer you know, three different shipping methods, overnight, uh, some type of priority, and then maybe a ground even... Um, you could just say shipping ranges from overnight to you know seven day for between these price ranges. That's that's enough that they need, right? To be able to proceed adding something to the cart and getting more details. But at this point, I don't know if I'm buying a $64 piece of artwork and I'm gonna pay another $64 to have it shipped to me or or what, right? Yep, yep. And that and that and that uncertainty makes makes you uneasy. And you know, an uneasy shopper doesn't buy. And when they make jump through hoops, doesn't usually buy as well. So, John, this has been phenomenal. Uh, would love to dive into the other items as well. We will have to look at maybe doing round two uh, on this. Yeah, topic. happy to anytime. Um, and we'll make this PDF available. Um, in addition to that, if people are are listening and saying, "Man, this John guy knows what he's talking about," how can I follow him on social media or connect with the good? Uh, what's what's the best way for folks to get in touch with you? Yeah, so uh, The Good is just available at thegood.com, T-H-E-G-O-O-D.com. And uh, we have a weekly email list uh, that you can sign up for. Now, it's not promotional content. It's not meant to be a sales pitch in any way. It's all educational material that we put up on our site. Uh, we release it first to that email list, um, but everything does end up posted to our site. Uh, if you uh, go to thegood.com, click on insights, um, which is uh, what we call those learning uh, opportunities, you'll see a whole list of those and be able to sign up um, to do that as well. And if you'd like to talk about your site specifically, um, you can get a landing page assessment. Uh, feel free to go to thegood.com slash LPA and uh, check out what we have for landing page assessments. And we can break down and talk about where your site might not be hitting on some of these best practices and, and uh, you know, talk a little bit about what your data is telling you. Fantastic. John McDonald, ladies and gentlemen. John, uh, killer job. It's a ton of fun. Uh, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me. really appreciate it. Yep, glad to do it. And as always, thank you for tuning in. Uh, we'd love to hear feedback from you. What would you like to hear more of? 
give us some topic suggestions, what are your burning questions when it comes to e-commerce, and we'll do our best to dive into those on the show. Uh, as always, we'd love that uh, review on iTunes if you feel so inclined. And with that, until next time, thank you for listening. At OMG Commerce, we accelerate growth for some of the most loved brands in e-commerce, like Boom, Native, True Earth, Overtone, and dozens more. If your Google and YouTube ad performance isn't where it should be, if you're struggling with Performance Max, or if you're not scaling like you'd like on Amazon, then we have two ways to help. One, we have amazing resources that are free for the taking, like our top YouTube ads guide with lots of examples, our PMAX checklist, or our Amazon DSP roadmap, plus many more. Or hit us up for a free strategy session. So go on over to omgcommerce.com and click on Let's Talk to request that free strategy session or click on Resources and Guides and pick the guide that's right for you. And now back to the show.